Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. I'm one of your hosts, Jess, and I'm joined by your other host, Jared. Hello. Hi. We're going to talk about Captain Marvel. Um, we both saw it this weekend, twice. I actually saw it three times because <laughs> I'm ridiculous. Um, and uh, it is so closely tied in with S.H.I.E.L.D. And there's tons of comics connections in it. We couldn't not talk about it. Plus, it's just we really enjoyed the film. So, um, all right. Spoiler section time. We I mean, had Coulson. Like we I had, know. we had to. I feel like for our podcast, but we also have acknowledged. And I think it's, we're not like stretching it so far. But if if a uh, Ragnarok two or something, if a, if a Thor sequel that went down the same like lines as Ragnarok came out, I don't think we'd be able to really justify covering it. <laughs> but that being said, Endgame is going to tie into a bunch of Shield stuff, and you know Maria Hill and Nick are seem to be recruiting Spider-Man for some sort of espionage in, in Far From Home. So we will be covering those, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Abs- Absolutely. We can justify, but not everything. Yeah, I feel like even Endgame is a little bit of a stretch because we don't even know, like, I don't know. Maybe we should, like, watch, we should do that after season six starts. I don't even know, like, because we, we the movie's not out, so I don't even know. <laughs> I'm not sure either. Like, you know, it, it, Either way, like I just feel like we'll we should do that one because I mean the, the way it left <laughs> us with Nick and Maria and thinking yeah. that there'd be some sort of explanation for how that fits in to them being then in uh, Far From Home, which we know takes place after that. Yeah, think that even if they're not in it, we get something. Plus, I mean, just in the Avengers are you know Cap and and. Uh, Black Widow and you know there's a lot of shield connections already I don't know absolutely and then Carol is going to be there also um, true as of the um mid credit scene so yeah. oh yeah so, yeah there's gonna be spoilers <laughs> for Captain oh, yeah. Marvel. this entire <laughs> thing is spoilers for Captain Marvel <laughs> yeah we'll have to put that in the notes uh yeah Sorry. <laughs> I would think they know, but still. Yeah, right. Uh, before we get started, uh, we are a part of the But Why Though podcast community. So be sure to check them out on Twitter at But Why Though PC and on their website, But Why Though Podcast.com. Um, tons of good stuff there and super proud to be a part of their community. Actually, one of our friends, Maya, uh, did a review of Captain Marvel that was um, really excellent that you should go check out. Not a podcast, an actual written piece, but <laughs> you should definitely go read that. All right. So first of all, let's start by talking about our general feelings for the film. And I think we tweeted out about this, so I'm pretty sure it's no secret. We enjoyed it. Yeah, we're, fa- <laughs> we're fans. I think we liked it. Yeah. I definitely enjoyed it more the second time through. I felt like I was able to settle into like the um and kind of be immersed in the universe a little bit better than the first time i think the i don't know when there's a lot of expectations on films sometimes i get really anxious and i have a hard time like just like in like sitting there watching the film i feel like um for uh, star wars the last jedi i had like a similar experience my first time around i was just like couldn't just watch it for what it was but second time around I had a great time. <laughs> like this winter, I feel like I've had a really easy time getting immersed in movies and getting kind of sucked in. And when that happens, even if it's not as good a movie, if on my second or third view, I like it less, like I'll still enjoy it. I think more almost, even if I have big, big expectations, if I can just really kind of sink into it. And I feel like mm-hmm. after having like pretty, I, I, I relatively enjoying, I guess all the movies I've seen in the theater 
pretty well this year. Uh, yeah. Like in, and the ones at the tail end of, uh, of last year in, in like December, like, I think that, I don't know. I think while all of them have been pretty easy to feel like I, I've been able to, I don't know, uh, kind of jumped into the world of this was the one that consumed me the most. Like, like I just really felt engaged the entire time was focusing on it, even on the first viewing. And so like a lot of, pe- a lot of people I've talked to have said that they thought that maybe the first act had some pacing issues or was a little awkward, even if they liked it. Yeah. But I didn't really feel that way any of the times I saw it. Like I can sort of see where they're coming from, but it's weird because like it's, it, it's because it deviates a little bit from the more formulaic origin aspect i think but it's still yeah. it's nothing like that's like crazy storytelling stuff it's nothing that's totally bonkers or whatever like i don't think i don't think it throws anyone for a loop and i don't think it doesn't make sense or messes with the flow so to me it doesn't really make sense to call it awkward it's just in general it's a and not in a bad way at all but it, it's a very I, I think um kind of origins you know heroic origin story like we get that a- aspect yeah. but it's not exactly told in the super linear linear like way and i feel like there's several things that are familiar to all of us you know who've watched a lot of stories like this but it was done in a, in a unique way and packaged together and yeah i i think too like the um the twist um the twist that were revealed to like they they just had to tell the story in a certain way so that those didn't get revealed too soon you know like it, we had to have certain um impressions and expectations of certain characters and um, it made it difficult because it's like they're trying to unravel her memory, and I just felt like in the first act they can't reveal too much, you know. <laughs> what, what I find super interesting from from the the comic side is that the twists there. Are, I feel like there are two twists in the movie: one for mm-hmm. non comics viewers and one for comics viewers, <laughs> and and they're mm-hmm. not the same because oh, interesting. You know, Jan Rog being behind it is not a surprise to people who know the comics. Jan Rog is. Marvel's nemesis is it mm. he's never been a good guy he's never was is not a yeah. good guy star force are avengers villains <laughs> like if, if you're familiar yeah. with the comics the yon rog reveal is not at all surprising uh, at all and i guess there's an aspect of it that would be to both the scroll story it could, could, could be considered surprising to both but i think because we knew the yon rog and star force and minerva we knew that those were bad guys as comic fans i think we were kind of expecting them to be on the bad side and for the scrolls to be good, even though that's not the way it always is in the comics. And conversely, I think that Annette Benning being Wendy Lawson instead of Walter Lawson being Marvel was a surprise to comic readers, but to non-comics fans, it was just a character. Like, yeah. like, there's no, there's no. <laughs> that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> that's not, a, that's not a man, you know. <laughs> like, there's yeah. no cool twist or stupid outrage, quote unquote outrage from people who were, I don't know, uh, very, men's yeah, rights yeah, activists. Very, very frustrating. <laughs> I use the term "people" loosely, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. It, yeah. So I feel like that's kind of funny because to me that was my whoa moment. Whereas, like, I get that there were other whoa moments for people who weren't expecting like when's jude law gonna reveal himself like it's gonna happen yeah well okay so i know nothing about captain marvel in the comics i know nothing about these characters like the only characters i'm familiar with are you know the ones that have already in been introduced to us in the mcu so colson fury well, and like- <laughs> marvel in the 70s was the only version of captain marvel up until carol who's been really commercially successful for any length of time uh, like, uh, you mm-hmm. know, there have been other iterations. Uh, Monica Rambeau, who was introduced in this film, uh, was Captain Marvel in the 80s. Yeah. And her version was less successful, uh, didn't really 
push her much as far as a solo hero. She was mostly just led the Avengers and that, and so she, I mean, mm-hmm. she had a long run doing that and was a very significant character throughout the eighties, but she eventually got kind of pushed to the wayside. I mean, they tried a couple of times with children of Marvel, uh, which I was telling you uh, yesterday after we, we watched are named Genus <laughs> and Philavel. Someone named oh, him, God. named his son Genus, uh, trying to make it sound like a weird alien name. It's not spelled uh, G-E-N-U-S, like 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 the word, but yeah, like right, genus but species, it's, like... it's spelled like it rhymes with penis. <laughs> no, <laughs> yes, with a G, uh, and. Uh, it's, 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 it's rough. And then his sister, uh, the, whoever created her, I believe was Peter David, uh, comic creator, uh, named, he named her, his twin sister, uh, Phyla Vell, like kind of running with the joke. Someone else had created genus before yeah. and he was just like, I'm just running with it. And so, so Mars, Mars children are, uh, genus and Phyla and they both had goes in Captain Marvel. So they've uh they've, they've been people who they've tried to give uh, a name to i think they briefly tried to give it to a character named novar who is uh was called marvel boy before who now was he's gone by protector at different points he's had a ton of different identities he's created as marvel boy and he was in uh cree from another dimension <laughs> because because oh. because comic book <laughs> and comics. some of our <laughs> listeners may know him he's been featured in uh, Young Avengers, and it's more recently in the West Coast Avengers, or is it Avengers West Coast? I can never remember. But with uh, the one that's running currently by Kelly Thompson, that's really great, and uh, is an ex-boyfriend of Kate Bishop's from her from his time in the Young Avengers. So that was oh. the most recent Captain Marvel before uh, Carol got the Captain Marvel. Carol. And Carol's a character has been around forever. When we get deep into the comics yeah. connections, I'll go through all of her many identities and. Yeah. So how did you how did you feel about Carol in the film? I thought she was great. I thought it was pretty fantastic. Like they represented yeah. her really well. She's a or... fucking mess and I love it. <laughs> she is. I just I love those scenes where she's like trying to use her her powers and she just like overdoes it and like shoots herself across the room and like it's like, oh whoa. <laughs> Whoops. And she just like smashes into things and like oh it's she's so it's so great. I love her sense of humor. She's so relatable. <laughs> She's awesome. Like she feels very relatable, I think, on a bunch of levels to I think people should be able to find something to relate to her, you know, over like just about anybody because she's complex and is interesting and has all the you know earmarks of a hero, like, you know, the determination yeah. and the desire to help and do the right thing. And yeah, yeah. And empathy. Oh, she's, she's just pretty <laughs> rad. And I thought. Uh, yeah. you know, Brie Larson did a great job. She was tons of fun to see on screen and, and uh, I think did like the humor and the action and the emotion all really well and just kind of seamlessly felt like the same character the whole time. And I, I, I thought it was a great representation of her. I've been a fan of Carol's because of when I got into comics and how I got into comics, even though I my entry point was the Batman movies. Most of the stuff I read other than Batman, in fact, everything I read other than Batman for the first several years I read uh, I read comics was Marvel because my oldest brother had a friend who liked them a lot. Uh, and when we were like, we're, we're all going to buy comics, my brothers and I, after, after the Batman movie yeah. <laughs> 30 years ago, you know, my uh, my oldest brother went to a friend who was like, you got to read X-Men, gave him an issue of Uncanny X-Men. And Carol was yeah. an X-Men character at the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and for a a long a long time she's had a very storied history like 
it, I mean, yeah. all of our comics are weird moments, you know, are pretty strange, but she's got way too many. Oh, she's man. got so many. Like, I can't yes. wait. We'll get into that. We'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Most of the other characters will be very, very short because Carol <laughs> gets stuff. Um, so, okay. We got to talk about Fury and Coulson and their de-aging. It was so well done. <laughs> and a, another uh, friend of the pod, our friend Michelle, was saying that one of her friends uh, did the work on that like like which is just yeah, so cool. really really cool like and he's yeah. part of the team that uh, de-aged all of them and like they are just getting better and better and better at it yeah i mean fury seamless like couldn't you know there was no weird moments where you could kind of tell that it wasn't really him i don't know colson was a different story i think colson had some moments where i felt like you could kind of it was a little weirder. I didn't feel like it was like facially for him as much as just, I, I, no, I think it's hair. a little bit uncanny valley on the hair is that we know the hair thing, but the, the difference is we have no idea what Samuel Jackson's real hairline is because everything he's appeared in for years now, oh. he's either had a shaved head or has been wearing a weird wig like in Glass and in the other, you know, uh, in that Shyamalan movies where he's playing Glass because- Let's face it. That's that true. wig is intense. It's the same wig that that uh, he wore. That Forrest uh, Whitaker wore. Remember, I'm what, trying to think of what he looked like in Pulp Fiction. Remember what Forrest Whitaker wore in a, what do you call it? Uh, Rogue One. Yes. Same wig oh that, my God. that Sam Jackson wore yeah. in those, those Shyamalan movies. I'm I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, he does have a he yeah, has like an Afro a, wig in Pulp Fiction. I don't know if I so ever realized that. I feel that. like <laughs> I do remember <laughs> that when these images first dropped, I looked at pictures of him younger, and it's a totally different hairline. But I think the difference is. I never really knew what his hairline looked like, but the problem the problem is, and it wasn't you know twenty four yeah. years ago. It wasn't in nineteen ninety five, but we saw like what Clark Gregg looked like to, during the New Adventures of Old Christine when he was you know opposite Julie Louis Dreyfus like fifteen <laughs> sixteen years ago, and he was already so bald. Yeah. He never had like a widow's peak, I don't think. So it's just like the choice they made, uh, like. <laughs> it, it, the, by by not making it the way his hair used to actually look by by just picking a haircut it seems like instead of referencing what he used to look like it it feels like it's just like we know that's wrong on some intellectual level we're just looking at it like no it's a nice try because i think the face i don't re- like, i don't know i i look at those pretty critically i just remember like and i mean winter soldier i was really harsh on when we talked about it and in general like, I just, like it took me yeah. out of it but even like e- even the de-aging you know in the first ant-man like like, like it feels janky by yeah. comparison now and it, it was great then like, my, my, like i was like that's amazing in the first one but compare that to ant-man and the wasp and it sucks mm-hmm. and compare that to now and it's, i wouldn't say it sucks but it's just not as good like they're so good at it now yeah i know even just think about like shield 2014 like episodes like so much different and that's i mean that's five Absolute, years ago now absolutely. but still like Five years ago is a long time in technology, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was excellent. How do you feel about like the way Fury's character was portrayed? I loved it. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. Like, like yeah. because I don't know, even if he is like a hardened, you know, full bird colonel already or whatever, like this is something that's totally new to him. Yeah. Like, like no matter what. And oh, I just- he was totally like duck out of water. Like Carol is clearly the one in charge in this film, and it's fun to see Fury in a different role like that. 
yeah. I was I was just uh, saying describing it to someone as uh, basically a buddy comedy, you know, yeah, between the between the two of them because it is like it's just an action yeah. movie. It's the starring the uh, Fury as Carol's sidekick, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And it's just and you can tell that they like each other. Like oh my gosh, that moment at the end when he's singing, it's like oh yeah. I, I, I didn't think of it explicitly when I watched it the first time. But when we watched it yesterday, I was thinking of how I how I mentioned before. Like I've seen those photos. Photo, those black and white photos of him in the 60s like in high school yes. when he when he is a cheerleader and i'm like that's yeah. that man that's the man yep. we all think is hard because of pulp fiction it's like do any yep. of us think john travolta is a tough guy no none of us <laughs> do so what like, like and, it's, and like, that was a really good performance by him i'm not trying to bash john yes. travolta he's done he's capable of great acting he's not always a great actor but, yeah. but he's capable of it but it's like Sam Jackson, like he just pulls it off, and and like, and I think, and it made me realize, like, it doesn't matter what part he's playing, really, he pulls it off. Like we don't always think he's a tough guy, but for some reason, he's gotten that sort of attitude, like, uh, in the pop culture, like we feel like that yeah. tough guy's the real him for some for yeah. some reason, even though he's only pleasant and like the only thing he really reveals himself seems to be just like super friendly and nerdy like yeah. <laughs> i have the real hand really, it is really bizarre it's like we know he loves you know he's always loved star wars and comic books and we know that like he becomes friends with all sorts of different people like that he works with and like, I, like that's the whole story behind this was they asked um uh, brie larson who she might want as a co-star if there was anyone when they were like developing everything and she had just worked on Kong Skull Island. She was like, "Well, he's already in the MCU. You, you know, you uh, you think you could put in Nick Fury? I'd love to work with Samuel L. Jackson again." They they put out feelers with him, and he was just, and he was like ecstatic. Like he he'd been wanting oh, yeah. to do more anyway, and he'd expressed that in interviews and stuff. But like just the idea of doing more and getting to work with her, like it reinvigorated it. And now he's doing now he's doing you know Far From Home, and like it brought him back mm-hmm. into the MCU, which is pretty cool. Like before, I, I, I feel know. like Endgame. Might have been the last we see of him, you know. And- yeah, I know. I was actually pleasantly surprised at how much he was in this film. I didn't think he was going to. I mean, like obviously in the trailers and stuff, it shows that they're you know having their their witty banter here and there. But like he was in it a shit ton. Like the entire film is about him and Carol. Yeah, I, I was I was saying that yesterday, and someone said like more than Winter Soldier. And I'm like, yes, like yeah. like it's like because he's in Winter Soldier a lot, but it's not about him. And this isn't about him no. either. But like. There's not even really anyone to compare him to in Winter Soldier because I feel like no. that role is split up a little bit in yeah. in uh, in that movie. Like 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 the, the role be like combining Natasha and Sam in Winter Soldier. You know, like, yeah. because Captain just have one foil through the whole thing. And yeah, where this is purely sidekick role. It is like he. I mean, I mean, it's a, kind of an origin story for him too. But I mean, not not even not really because we don't. Yeah, I mean the one thing that we learn about him is how he lost his eye. But <laughs> I think it, I think it is, but in it's 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 more of an origin story for Shield getting actively involved in this stuff. Yeah, which we know yeah. from our you know you know from our show that they've they have other things that they've you know retcon and retroactively incorporated in, and I think it makes sense. Really, though, the only people that knew about all this stuff actively before this point, as we as as the story's been unfolded for us and. On Agents of Shield is uh, Hydra was aware, yeah, but yeah. they never showed that Shield was. So yeah, I'm yeah, I'm kind of okay with all the changes and reveals and stuff. I do think it's interesting. One thing, uh, sort of origin story of anything, uh, you know, we don't know what happened in between exactly, 
in the 45 years that the Tesseract fell yeah. uh, from, in the ocean at the end of uh, yeah. First Avenger and this. But we do know mm-hmm. from different dialogue in the, the films up until this point that Howard Stark recovered it at some point from the bottom of the ocean while searching for Captain America. Yeah, yes. So we know that that happened. So it would make sense then if po- Project Pegasus is a joint effort between S.H.I.E.L.D. and NASA that uh, it would uh, end up in, in in an area where Lawson would have access to it or Marvel would have access yeah. to it. It's just it's very interesting. Like there's a little bit – another piece of the Tesseract's lineage has been revealed, but at the same time it also adds a new wrinkle to it sort of. Like where was it in between mm-hmm. Howard Stark discovering it and Lawson uh, acquiring it? What was it – You know, what was it doing? It was Project Pegasus, <laughs> which is an alternate fuel source or a study of superhumans, different things in the comics and the movies. You know, What's its exact purpose? Was it just a study – the Tesseract, like, it's interesting. It is interesting, and yeah. It, there's more to be revealed, even though it answered a lot. It opened up other questions, too. I don't. Yeah, I think that was, like, a little um, twist, too, in the film. Because that scene where Carol's like, oh, in her notes, she called it the Tesseract. I feel like the entire theater was like, what? <laughs> no, for sure. Like, I even for me, I was like, wait, huh? <laughs> like, yeah. where did it come from? And that does tie in a little bit to... Some cool comic connections I can uh, talk about when we get into yeah. that a little bit. Let's talk about the the third star of the show, the cat. <laughs> Goose the cat. Goose, I'll do – Goose will be the one um, – what do you call it? But I'll do sort of weirdly out of order uh, be, because it's like – That's fine. Not super important. But yeah. Goose I thought was funny because I couldn't figure it out until like before before seeing the film, I think I've rationalized it in my head. Like, why would they change Goose's name? Because in the comics, Goose's name is Chewy. And I feel like it, yeah, it yeah. makes it more obvious that Goose is an alien if it's named after an alien. Like, yeah. like, like it makes the twist maybe a little oh. better for for uh, regular fans. And because, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it makes sense for anyone to name their pet after a Star Wars character in our in our real world, as I'm sure it would in the Marvel Universe, if they, as they've established through cute Spider-Man lines that Star Wars exists. And then we've yeah. also seen Bobby wearing one on S.H.I.E.L.D., wearing a Star Wars yes. shirt on S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, so we know that people like it. But I just I, – I can't help but wonder if they're like – because even though she worked for NASA, you know, Carol didn't have – a connection to space as obviously as she would to flying because she was in the you know air force and then into into test yeah. pilot for nasa through the air force uh, i mean most astronauts are air force pilots, uh, uh, just the way it is yeah. but uh you know, because of that i feel like the goose name the top gun reference makes more sense on on, yeah. a, on a marketing level it it, it 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 makes sense that to a, an unassuming fan who isn't aware of her having a pet flirkin <laughs> which is from the comics uh yeah would uh i feel, I feel like that name example is, is uh, their name differences be probably because of that right to, to lull us into a false sense of okay, security okay. uh so in yeah. april of 2006 uh in giant size miss marvel number one because that's one of carol's former identities is miss marvel we first meet chewy the chewy yeah. the cat who's actually a flirkin Chewy, uh, Chewy the cat is from another dimension, from Earth 58163, and is displaced to our dimension. Of course. It was created by Brian Reed and Roberto <laughs> De La Torre, and was uh, named in Miss Marvel Volume 2, Number 5, cover dated September uh, 2006. 
So J- June 2006 would have been when, that, <laughs> w- w- when we got Chewie's name. And yeah. then I, I don't think it's a relatively yeah, all things, recent. Actually. All things considered, yeah. yeah. And, and then yeah, it was not until quite a while later in Captain Marvel Volume Eight, uh, Number Seven, that we are given kind of the uh, the origin story of Chewie the Flerkin. So before that, I believe Chewie was just <laughs> a. Uh, <laughs> A cat, as Nick Fury kept insisting quite emphatically. So uh, <laughs> prolific Carol Danvers creator, yeah. Kelly Kelly Sue DeConnick, who, it's worth mentioning, appears in the film very briefly, which is really cool. Oh, yeah. I, I, I almost wanted to say something to oh, you, but I didn't cool. want to like, I, I don't know. I, I was so excited. I knew my volume would not be modulated. <laughs> I was just going to shout in the theater. But when she gets off the subway <laughs> in LA, when she's first walking, before she gets out into the crowd in the open air, right to the right of the screen, there's a woman with red hair, and that's that's Kelly Sue. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. I'll have to look for that when I see it again. I've gotten to meet her a few times because of the comics community in Portland uh, when I was living there. She has a lot of people mm-hmm. uh fr- friends in common and co-workers in common with people i know and uh, she's a very nice lady so she and marcio takara would be the artist who would be ones who i would credit as co-creators they're not listed on like fan wikis but they're the ones who made uh chewy a flirkin so i i consider them co-creators uh you know the other guys were they gave carol a cat <laughs> which is cool but they made this cat an alien which is awesome. yeah. even cooler yeah and that happened um it yep. was uh, published in 2014, released September 10th, 2000, uh, 2014. Oh, yeah. So, so nice. uh, from from page to screen, <laughs> <laughs> quite a quick evolution. So that's our first comics connection, <laughs> and we can go go back to our reactions. But but I, I had to mention the goose thing because when it first was announced, I was like, "That's weird." I know. Well, I know. Well, I like someone explained to me like, "Why did they change his name?" And I was like, "Okay, I bet Jared has an idea of like what." what happened here <laughs> we need to talk about this briefly <laughs> well i just had to figure it out and i feel like a little bit of it is because it got stuck in my crop because i have a weird thing i feel like i just missed the boat i feel like there's a millennial line yeah you know they talk about like subdivisions of millennials i just saw someone making a joke about su- insisting that the di- the subtle differences between the like the the different er- eras between you know inside of uh millennials uh you know making people want to have su- subdivisions is peak millennial someone yeah, said. Yeah. but uh yeah i feel like all the people like my my middle brother's age that I know and a little bit older than that range, especially men, but just in general, they love Top Gun in a way that I do not. I don't. I just don't. (laughs) And I just don't get it. I'm just like, okay, cool. Windmill high fives are cool. I like that. (laughs) But like- Well, and also we have a certain uh, dislike for- That's true. An actor that is in Top Gun. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Yeah, we're not the biggest Tom Cruise fans. No, that's that's a very good point. That may may impact it. I always think like it all it always bugged me a little bit too that the guys that I knew, not, not my brother Andrew, but a lot of the guys I knew in, in growing up in a very conservative Phoenix, Arizona, like who loved that movie was like, even as a little kid, it's like not in any bad way at all, but just like, come on guys, like you, you're super into a movie that's like focuses on male friendship and a shirtless vo- volleyball scene. Like, like this is very homoerotic. Guys, right? <laughs> like, 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 you, you don't seem very self-aware <laughs> like, like for how homophobic you are and how into this movie you are. Kind of weird. That's funny. But uh but no, I then so then the name change jumped out at me. I think maybe maybe because of that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not like it, it, he wasn't named Maverick yeah. or Iceman or anything. <laughs> you know, he was named Goose. Go. I don't hate Anthony Edwards from ER. Oh my god. That's oh yeah, Goose is named after Anthony Edwards from ER. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god um it's important to, to think about it that way i think i think so <laughs> all right there is one thing i want to talk about that is not related to any of this <laughs> cats florkins tom tom cruise <laughs> um but it is representation oh, uh, much more much more important Although the internet is mostly about cats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as, as much as that would like us to believe the cats are the most important. I mean, I think cats are very important. I have two. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. You, you, you. <laughs> um, there's one in, in this room right now, an orange one, actually. I was going to um, say, is it, is it the one who resembles? A florkin, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he hasn't shown his florkin side, though. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll have to put him in a dangerous situation where he has to eat a tesseract. We'll find out. Um, anyway... <laughs> So there are very few Asian women in the in the MCU, and Gemma Chan was in this film. I saw this film on Thursday night with Billy. Billy loves Gemma Chan. Didn't even realize she was in it because she is an alien. She is Minerva. Marvel doesn't have a good track record of um, how they portray and put Asian women on screen. Usually they're aliens or they are killed off or they are just belittled and considered subservient and unimportant characters and not complex. And it sucks. So I was kind of expecting more from uh, Minerva in this film. And uh, the cat was on screen more than she was, which don't get me wrong. I love cats. But I mean, the cat being a more important character. And it's just like you said, it's insult to injury. It keeps happening. It's yeah. like over and over and over again. And like we, we discussed before we started recording, other than Helen Cho and Age of Ultron, like as far as the the film on-screen representation, I think every like named character that I could think of that's an, an Asian woman is not a human, yeah. is playing an alien. Yeah. And and the only yep. one of them who isn't colored, <laughs> you know, like an alien <laughs> would be uh, you know, Mantis, who is I, I keep mentioning because it really bugs me is not an alien in the comic books is a bi- yeah, biracial Vietnamese like why, woman. Like, come on, man. Why was that? Yeah. Like whatever. So, um, and that whole poor, um, Mantis that, I mean that we've talked about that in the past, I'm sure that whole thing is just bad. It's real on, on many levels. Well, and the way they use <laughs> Helen Cho, who in, in the comics is not like a super premier character, but, uh, at least, if she's going to be used at all, she'll be used to introduce her to brilliant and like recurring and very awesome char- children characters who are, that's the way she's used in the comics. You know, she's sort of mm-hmm. just their mom more than anything. She's, she's smart, but is uh, used as, as a development for, for, for them more than anything. A Bruce yeah. Wayne's parents not situation. Not great, but <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, at least it was to develop to, you know, Korean, Asian yeah, Korean American yeah. characters, like, like, like yeah. um, um, and including one woman, and not to develop, not yeah. just to develop some some schmuck white character, you know, yeah, cause them pain or, or a AI robot, oh, God. dude. Yeah, 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 like Helen, uh, Helen's use, like you said, they made a brilliant scientist, which is at least they kept that part of her true, but or, or intact, but like they made her into a tool for this AI and they made her subservient to him. Like, yeah, it's like they misused the character and they like insulted it. It's yeah, it's not good. So yeah, still not a step forward in terms of, uh, Asian woman representation, which was a little disappointing. Um, it didn't ruin the film for me. I was just kind of bummed that that's what, was, yeah, well, what we what did was. see of her was cool at least like and she played her well yeah. but, like nikki expressed disappointment that uh, uh, uh i was talking to my girlfriend about it after she saw it and she expressed disappointment that 
uh, it, it it was very much implied that she exploded. You know, she died. It's like, why why kill her off? She'd be cool. <laughs> and in the comics, you know, she's not a very important character, but is sort of like a bizarro uh, Captain Marvel in a way. You know, like she her her actual yeah. co- costume was Carol's old co- uh, Miss Marvel costume, like in the comics. Oh, so she was just like a blue version <laughs> of Carol. I would fight fight her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it just goes to show that Shield has. Agents of Shield has long been the front runner in terms of representation with um Asian women first of all and also just other marginalized well, just, people just per, <laughs> per capita the the percentage yeah. of the cast that is not a straight white dude has always been pretty high considering like it's always been what at least half if not more has been not that which is nice and it, yeah. it's only gotten better as as Ward was revealed to be his evil self. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and, and once they stopped trying to add um, new ones. <laughs> like, they, they try, like, no offense to the guy who played Lincoln or the character, but like, you weren't necessary, buddy. We didn't need you. We already had Trip and Mac and uh, we, you know, we have opportunities for more people to come in. We had, we had our, you know, guest shot with Ghost Rider. We don't, we don't, we didn't need him. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Sorry, electrical nurse man. <laughs> I like uh, I like that he was a um, healthcare professional. I guess. Well, and yeah. So, <laughs> and we talked as well about um, after we, we we watched it yesterday. Something that's bothered me from just like the initial interviews when they first gave a bunch of reveals on the on the topic of uh, of representation. Um, Lashana Lynch was talking about her character of Maria Rambeau being uh, her superpower being that she's a bass pilot and single mother, and like. Yeah. I love that she that she is a badass single mother. I love her friendship with Carol, and I love her relationship with Monica in in the film. And I like the way portray the way they portray her. I like the changes they made overall. But it bums me out a little bit that Frank Rambeau has been erased from the Marvel universe. It would appear because in the comics, yeah. uh, Monica uh, as uh, the best way for me to put it is. Like if you think about all your superheroes that you know, how many of them have parents <laughs> that are that are that are yeah. not dead? That are not like is that that's not like part yeah. of their story? And like usually, if they're not if they're not dead, then they're a villain that they're turning against or something. You know, like yeah. they, they, they they're almost never supportive, involved, caring parents who listen and are there for them. And and there's that example that does not exist in superhero comics outside of like you know Superman for the past. 30 or 35 or so years when they mm-hmm. uh, revamped the comics and made it to where his adoptive parents were still alive. He had that. And then, you know, in the, the Dean Cain, uh, Superman, the Lois and Clark show that I grew up watching, he would like go and visit his parents at home in, 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 uh, yeah. in Kansas and, and talk to them about stuff and talk about his problems almost every week on the show. And very similarly in, in both Monica's time as Captain Marvel in a solo series. And when she was the focus of the Avengers as the leader of the Avengers in the eighties, Monica was the same way where she'd go and visit Frank and Maria and talk with them. And she, they were very involved in her life and just super great parents. And it's like, it bums me out. But that positive example uh, of representation of just parents <laughs> in comics, which is, I mean, it's, yeah. it's not something we think about because parents are well represented in every form of our media other than superhero comics, I think, maybe. It's a really weird microcosm, but like we have to kill off the parents of those people. It's like I've talked to people. It's like it's a really common fantasy for little kids where they they want to be orphans because they want to be superheroes. <laughs> like, like, like it. Oh. 
That's but it's, so it's totally weird. normal. Yeah, that's we need to break that. Right. We need to break it's, that. It doesn't really <laughs> make any sense. Like it doesn't. We don't. That doesn't. Yeah. It's such a lazy shorthand for sacrifice or trauma or hardening or hardship. You know, it's like it's yeah. real. It is. It's tra- It's all those things, but it's not the only way to do it. It's and. Yeah, there's plenty of trauma that you can that you can inflict on a child story wise while having their parents still alive. <laughs> plenty of ways to do that, and it's not something like I'm not like critical of of it because I get why I get the choices that they made like to accentuate and emphasize the relationship and the bond between Maria and Carol and between yeah. and between Maria and Monica. It's just a stereotype that didn't need to be reinforced is. That's, in a blockbuster film like Black Single Mother. Like yeah, the implication of an absentee black father is pretty messed up, and and I think that we talked about it as well yesterday. I think that part of why it was ex- especially annoying when that article came out to me, or, or not, I don't know, not annoying, but just jumped out at me when I read that Entertainment Weekly article was it was right after Solo came out, where there's a mm. completely unnecessary line of dialogue, I feel like, where Han is making the most confusing assertion that he he doesn't have any relationship with his dad and wasn't close to his dad, but the whole reason he's a pilot is because his dad took him to the ship factory and it was like the super meaningful <laughs> bonding moment. It, like, it makes no sense. And then Lando's response is, I don't have a dad. And it's like, that's what Disney's giving us right now. They're erasing good fathers and making other black characters not have a dad for no reason other than to just say it and yeah and i don't know if it, if any of these things added anything to their stories like that couldn't be told with them it would be different but like i feel like so far the only thing we have definitive that she's a single parent and that uh, monica doesn't have a father would be that you know that interview and mm. I, like i even like i'm already thinking of ways around it if there is a photon movie down the line if there's a monica rambo movie you know her dad could have been an active military person and could have been deployed or they could have not been together and still, and he could have still been a good father and part of her life, you know, even if they he, yeah. he wasn't still with Maria, like there's more than one way to show a family. And especially there's more than one way to show uh, a, a, a strong black mother and a, a strong black woman. Like I feel like another form of like, like laziness, uh, shorthand in, in creativity, especially from white creators is to make black women go through hardship to show how strong they are. And like, yeah. that feels fucked up yeah frankly like that's not the only way yeah. to show strength <laughs> no i feel like just being a black woman without any extra trauma outside of it is enough just to make you a strong woman um just dealing with the systemic issues <laughs> of our country and of this world yeah right <laughs> um and you know <laughs> very very well said <laughs> so I don't know. But yeah, I think that and it just goes to show like it really does make a difference who's in the writer's room and who's behind the camera making decisions on things like this, because I feel like if we would have had a black woman in the writer's room, we probably wouldn't have had a storyline like that or just like something, you know, it, it, it would have been different. I feel well, at least it would have been informed with real experiences. You yeah. know, like, and that would have at least I think it would have come across differently. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, Asian women too. Yeah, just <laughs> just more, just more diversity behind the camera, please. <laughs> absolutely, and I love that women are are more involved behind the camera. But it's like, and they are getting better. Like, you know, Eternals is going to be you know, an Asian American woman is going to be helming it. So that's. Yeah. Pretty rad. <laughs> well, let's let's and and the rumors that they're looking for you know an out yeah uh, absolutely gay uh, actor to portray the male lead is pretty cool too and interesting. That is cool, but yeah. So I feel like those were some of the issues I had on representation, um, and and you as well. Should we talk about comics? Sure. 
<laughs> the one that's the craziest for sure is Carol, uh, yeah. who's rad, but like literally like just the list of first appearances is extensive because it's first appearance <laughs> as Carol Danvers is March 1968 in Marvel Superheroes number 13. The first appearance as Miss Marvel, her first superhero identity, is almost a decade later in January of 1977 in Miss Marvel number one. Her first appearance then as Binary, it's her, ne- her <laughs> next superhero identity. When she goes from just having Superman powers, basically, to these energy mm-hmm. photon, like crazy, crazy high-level powers, she started glowing red and she would appear bald with like a flaming head of energy, <laughs> like like instead of hair. <laughs> And wore, wore a pretty cool costume. It was like white and red, like very dark red. Uh, mm-hmm. And her face would be the same color as like the re- the majority of her costume pretty much. Uh, it had an appearance of skimpiness, even though it wasn't really. And uh, her name was Binary, as in a binary star. And, her, and her, she had a little symbol mm-hmm. on her, like where Robin's uh, you know R is. that had two tiny black stars on, on her yeah. white uh, portion of her costume. And then... In May of 1998, she became Warbird and got a. Uh, she started off still in her second and most popular Miss Marvel costume, which is basically a black one-piece bathing suit with a giant <laughs> yellow lightning bolt across it and a red sash tied off to the side as a belt uh, and thigh-high, <laughs> high-heel boots and arm-length black gloves and it's all like black leather and like a black domino mask. And she wore that as Miss Marvel for a long time and then again as Warbird. And eventually the Warbird uh, uniform changed to keeping the black costume scheme, but ended up uh, having white pads. And it was very much inspired by her time in the Air Force and NASA. And it looked more like a military uniform or or a police uniform, like like a padded sort of armor. And she went went by Warbird, which is the name of of a fighter plane. And then in Avenging Spider-Man number nine, she made her first appearance as Captain Marvel in September of 2012. So really, wow. she has not been not been Captain Marvel very long, all things together. No, she hasn't. Yeah. Uh, so her, her character was originally a, a, uh, the security chief of uh, Cape Canaveral of uh, the, the NASA base. <laughs> okay. And this requires me to skip ahead slightly to uh, another one of our main characters played by Annette Bening in the film of Captain Marvel or Captain Marvel. Uh, who is a Kree yeah. infiltrator. His first appearance was Marvel superheroes number 12, uh, December of 1967. So this is just before, uh, Carol's first appearance. And he was very similar to the character in the film, uh, other than being a man <laughs> and having the identity of Dr. <laughs> Walter Lawson when he is posing as a human. And he actually took the identity of a guy who just died. And took his job <laughs> as well. Like, like, like he uh, he didn't just make up an identity; he posed as somebody. He in- infiltrated Earth to figure out if it was like going to be capable of of uh, star travel, very similar to this, but also whether or not just to see whether or not they should invade Earth. Like it was a he was a scout uh, trying to figure out if they should, uh, yeah, basically conquer earth and the Kree were conquerors. Yeah. They're not really heroes, just like in the movie, uh, even though they think of themselves <laughs> as that. And Marvel was a cool dude. He ended up not just liking humans a lot, but also falling in love with Carol as he became more and more protective of her and impressed with her because she's kind of a badass. And, uh, and just yeah. like, you know, in this, uh, she was a pilot who worked for the air force and then ended up working for NASA because women couldn't do combat. Only in this, she ended up instead of testing, uh, flight, uh, you know, flight equipment and new planes. She was the security chief, but so it's not that different that that portion of of her origin. 
and they're still connected in the same way. They didn't get their power. She didn't get her powers at the uh, explosion uh, of the, the drive in the exact same way. She got them from uh, originally, at least the way it's portrayed, because this is, this is going to get super comic booky and weird for, for you guys. And just, yeah, I know. No, uh, it, very shortly. But okay, Psyche or Psyche. I think it's Psyche because it's got the E at the end, but uh, Psyche Mag- Magnetron, right, is the name of some sort of uh, Cree device. It's damaged. Carol is knocked into it, and it can turn imagination into reality. And this is while she's uh, okay. in a battle between Yan Rog, who I'll get to very shortly, and Marvel uh, on Earth. She is, uh, you know, it, it, it affected by this damaged Psyche Magnetron, and it explodes, and she. Uh, doesn't realize it initially, but it makes her half Cree. It makes her half human, half Cree. It gives her these, unlocks these superhuman abilities. And something that uh, has never really made sense to me, even even still with her most revised origin, which I'll get to out of order. I'll say next. Uh, it, it's uh, it doesn't really make sense to me because she's more powerful than Captain Marvel or Jan Rog or any of these other characters. Like. Somehow by being half Kree and half human, she's got all these energy powers that Kree don't have. (laughs) It's like, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. So she's the only thing, the only like headcanon explanation that I had for that was like that Kree are just just seem to be more like biologically sturdy (laughs) compared to humans. And so maybe they just are enable her to like hold onto these powers and I guess live through like the shit that she's able to live through. Um, well, well, mo- most of uh, Marvel's powers came from his cosmic nega bands. These these bracelets he oh, used, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> comic books. So he used special bracelets that gave him powers, and so it's like they didn't even it didn't really make any sense. Like that, like they didn't come from him being a Kree, yeah. for, in particular. But they gave him cosmic awareness, and when he smashes these things together, they make him just trade places with someone else. I mentioned it before, I believe, on the show, and I mentioned Rick Jones. A former Bucky and the guy who's tied to uh to yes to uh Incredible <laughs> Hulk's Bucky. origin. He also for a long time was literally he was stuck in a place called the Negative Zone, and he and Marvel would switch places whenever Marvel would smash his wrists together, and so one would end up in the real world and one would end up in, in another dimension, and they could like <laughs> talk to each other in the back of their heads <laughs> like like Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> Comic books are amazing, oh guys. God. This is literally the third time Rick Jones was a comic was a sidekick to someone. Like he just kept he kept being just like passed around. Like it's kind of amazing. So, yeah, but it, wow. the, and the reason I bring up like it's still weird because we now know that this was sort of this was her intended origin as is the way it unfolded in real time and in reality. But we now know that she's actually the daughter of a Cree century sent before Marvel. A, a woman named Marielle and her last name is her, 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 her Cree name is Carol and she's half Cree. And it's because of it is because of this genetic potential of both being unlocked, but she has all this amazing power. Basically the psyche magnetron was a placebo and the power was in her all along. And so it, and wow. that this origin was revealed very recently in a comic that just came out and it was really, really great. It was beautifully illustrated by Carlos Pacheco, one of my favorite, uh, comic artist at marvel a really excellent uh spanish uh man who works mostly he's worked with like avengers stuff and x-men and he had a really great fantastic four run but he's kind of been all over marvel over the years uh he's drawn just about everyone at this point and he had a really amazing like excellent uh avengers uh miniseries that's super nerdy but just really really fun and it's like all about it's all about comic weirdness and trying to fix (laughs) 
shit that didn't make sense. It's called Avengers Forever. And it's like this time, yeah. this time spanning crazy thing that deals really heavily a lot into the, the inspiration for this movie, the Kree Scroll War. Like it deals with this thing, and that's yeah. it's it's really it's very all very bizarre. But so Carol became Miss Marvel, went from she's had so many careers as well as superhero names. She became a magazine publisher. <laughs> uh, yeah, so oh. that's. A little weird, uh, I guess, but it was just part of her era. That was when she was Miss Marvel. She wore an extremely skimpy outfit. She wore she, okay. She had a a top that had a long scarf and basically like it covered her arms and she had gloves, so her arms and shoulders and chest were all covered completely. But she had a completely exposed midriff, bi- like a bikini bottom, and then like boots. It's. <laughs> Which is super practical when you're a superhero. It's preposterous. It's like it basically looked at looked it looked at the difference between Supergirl <laughs> and Superman's costume. They're like, oh, there's a skirt and bare legs, and then they're like, how can we take this up several notches? Yeah. Like, how can we make this the same Ugh. kind of comparison between the old school Captain Marvel costume and this, and and make it even more sexist and objectified? And like, like I don't mind skimpy uniforms. Like Wonder Woman looks like a Greek inspired armor. Like there's there's there. It's still sexualized. Yeah. I'm not like defending it so much so that like I think it's perfect. I'm just saying that there are reasons for it and it makes sense. She's indestructible and so is Carol. But at the same time, Carol who grew up human in our American culture of modesty, it's weird. There's some weird choices and, and nothing bad, but it's just, yeah. I don't know. I prefer her costume now greatly, <laughs> personally. And that's not to say there, there are attractive things about both of her other costumes, but they're also just very old school to me and and not in not in a great way. Sometimes yeah. that stuff's uh, I enjoy, but not always. And so she wore this uniform for a while, eventually transitioned to the one I described earlier with the lightning bolt and the one piece bathing suit, which somehow was more modest than this one. <laughs> because of the, but, but uh, <laughs> uh, and she was Miss Marvel for quite some time. She had this uh, encounter with a very popular character called Rogue. You guys all know Rogue from the X-Men. You may remember, mm. I'm not sure how familiar you were with the X-Men as a kid, but you remember, may remember in the cartoon, she could fly and had super strength and has not had that in any of the films. That's because she got those from Carol. Yeah. She held on to Carol too long and absorbed her powers permanently <laughs> and erased Carol's memories. Oh my God. This led to Carol becoming binary when wow. she rediscovered her powers. She slowly, with the help of Professor X, regained her memories. This is when she was an X-Men character, clearly, uh, but didn't have an, an emotional attachment to her mm-hmm. memories. She ended up going off into space with Cyclops's father, who is uh, a space pirate. He, uh, his code name is Corsair. He's a member of the space pirate group, the Star Jammers. All this is, oh I could not make this up if I wanted to. <laughs> One of the aliens in the crew is named Chode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Comics are fucking incredible. Uh, but so there are a bunch oh of people. They fight the Kree a lot. Uh, one of the Kree's like main enemies are the Shi'ar Empire, or Shi'ar Empire, these uh, avian like um, bird people, aliens. Uh, whose queen is uh, at one point was married to Professor X. I believe they have a daughter. Uh, oh, I remember you telling yeah, me about this. Yeah, she's the a lo- long-term <laughs> girlfriend of Professor X and the X-Men. And so yeah. for a long time, uh, Carol was basically a space superhero, Like, which I feel like this the, the way this movie ends is sort of a shout-out to that time in her life. Mm-hmm. And she was out with space pirates, right and wrongs, <laughs> being cool, swashbuckling, uh, and occasionally helping out the X-Men or Avengers when they needed her and yeah. coming back. And uh, then eventually she became a really important – she'd already been a member of the Avengers as Miss Marvel, but she became an important member of the Avengers again at a time, kind of a, in a transition in the 90s. She came back and returned to being – this is when she first became Warbird and returned to that classic Miss Marvel costume but had her binary powers and mm-hmm. the the story with with Rogue is nuts. Like Rogue has personality, 
because she, yeah. because of absorbing all of her memories where she had a version of Carol in her head. And then when this is eventually set right, because all the X-Men go through what? a portal called the Siege Perilous, which is related to like Arthurian legend and, and mythology. Yeah. But they go through this crazy portal and when they come out, they come out different times and places than where they came <laughs> in and they're changed. <laughs> it, it, like, like it makes you who you're supposed to be. So, um, let's see, like Colossus ended up losing his memory and he was just an, an artist who didn't know he was a Russian mutant and thought he was just a the regular American artist a painter named Peter in New York until he had his memory restored and was dragged back into the horrors of being a mutant and member of the X-Men. He had a peaceful <laughs> life. They should have just left Cyclops or, or Colossus the fuck alone. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, Storm, I think she was kidnapped by someone named the Nanny who turned into a child. It was pretty screwed up. Uh, what the fuck? Yeah. Havoc, Cyclops' brother, ended up going through and becoming a member of like an anti-mutant like racist uh like guard even though he was a mutant in this like th- this uh, p- uh fake country called genosha like they all they're all massively changed somehow and she's taken taken to the savage land uh rogue is which is i mentioned recently when i talked about uh, <laughs> uh kazar or kazar which is their like dinosaur their jurassic park world basically and she ended up dating magneto because he has magnet powers so they can touch somehow that's comic book sci-fi oh, gib- okay. gibberish i don't understand it either <laughs> if it if, if if it helps it's because it doesn't make sense uh and mm-hmm. nobody can understand it. it's just gibberish the writer wanted them to and it's just like super weird he's like so old but anyway uh they he, he was in he was he's a holocaust survivor he's so old <laughs> Just saying. But uh, the two of them get together and she ends up finding out that like it also it, it fixed her weird split personality thing with Carol, but it also like created like a golem of Carol. Like there was another version. <laughs> oh there was God. another version of her came out of the portal too. But because it wasn't the real her, it was just like her disembodied consciousness. It looked like Cap like like her version of Miss Marvel in the, the f- in the black one piece suit, but it slowly became like decayed and like zombified and monstrous. What the fuck? And and Rogue had to destroy her. And this is all in issues of Uncanny X Men I read as a kid and I was basically like blown away by the beautiful Jim Lee artwork, but also just like, this is the, yeah, it was weird as hell. (laughs) Honestly, like 10 years old is the best time to read that stuff. I think like, cause you're just like, whatever, I'll take it. Like, like hmm, this all make this all tracks to me. This woman was uh, an astronaut and then a security guard. Then she was the editor in chief of woman magazine. And then now it's like, and now (laughs) she's in, she's a space pirate and was, sort of almost a weird zombie golem it all makes perfect sense if you don't pay any attention to it um <laughs> yeah all this wow all this stuff's pretty bonkers yeah she when she rejoined uh you know the avengers she became a pretty important fixture and has been involved for a while they tried to kind of give her a big push back when the avengers first became really big in the early 2000s that kind of led to the film push and everything and made them what they are today because before they were always the biggest you know team in the comics they were their flagship team but they mm-hmm. weren't the, they were never marvel's biggest title and uh it be, kind of became that point and when the push uh by uh miles morales creator um and jessica jones creator brian michael bendis to kind of when he because he was writing the avengers and he liked the character and he also you know brought luke cage to the forefront when he really pushed for her to have this uh, this kind of refocus on her, he made her costume go back to the one piece bathing suit and reverted her from Warbird to Miss Marvel again because he thought the name was cooler or whatever, uh, and gave her he he pushed for one of his friends to to write a title like and she had an ongoing Miss Marvel title for a long time in the two thousands and they 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 gave her like this this push this resurgence for her character but she didn't really pop again until 
I think there was a convergence of creators who've been suggesting it for a while and editors and people at Marvel being like, we need a flagship woman character like Wonder Woman. We need our version of Wonder Woman. And right now, Iron Man or Spider-Man or or even maybe even Captain America could qualify as our Superman, but we have no Wonder Woman because they wanted someone they had full control over because their biggest you know female character is Storm and Fox had all the rights to the media. So they needed yeah. something that they had complete control over and they pretty much decided on Carol and they, and they listened to something creators have been saying for a while and hey, let's just make Carol Captain Marvel. <laughs> and like, like, it just made sense. She was an Air Force captain. <laughs> it, just, it just made yeah. sense. So they did and she became an an important uh you know fixture i feel like in the marvel universe a more, a more important one and eventually she became a member of what's uh, called alpha flight which was originally the premier canadian superhero team in the marvel universe and is now <laughs> their kind of first line of defense for space and space invasions and whatnot and she's their leader and it works it's cool uh there's a lot of great stuff to come from this by opening up the miss marvel name and allowed for uh, kamala khan who's a great character mm-hmm. carol was gotten a much higher profile in this film and this happened and she's gotten major roles in the last several Avengers cartoons and like it's just cool it's it's great uh, I like the character a lot I love that she's gotten this chance to shine and she's personality wise she's pretty much the same power wise she's pretty much the same and I feel like the spirit of the origin is the same they just have kind of simplified all the yeah. weird crap that doesn't make sense and it's, <laughs> and it's just and, yeah and it's just like a Good. natural I think evolution of comic books and comic book weirdness yeah. uh, so I feel pretty much <laughs> cover her i won't get into a whole lot to uh the kree except just you know what we already know they're first mentioned in fantastic four number mm-hmm. 64 in july of 1967 they didn't appear until avengers number 133 in march of 1975 they were mentioned in story oh. in the story of the inhumans origin in in a uh, fantastic four number 64 mm-hmm. so they're they, it's kind of cool in a weird way how, how tied they are to the inhumans still because of shield <laughs> it's it just it echoes yeah. the way it actually went down and then they're primarily Avengers yeah. characters because they did first appear in what was called the the Cree Scroll War, and the the story arc is always referred to as as that. So, and the Avengers were heavily involved. It was also like it was a great issue where Ant Man has to shrink down to repair the Vision, so he's going inside of his android body, and uh, like I I'll, I'll remember that from the <laughs> collections when I was a kid for for forever, just because it was really well drawn. It was cool it was him shrinking down. That's cool. And then I guess the only yeah. other things to mention about uh, Marvel, uh, since it's not really about him, would be the uh, like one difference that I kind of wish could somehow have been preserved. And I'm okay with everything the way it went down, but the way he he died in the the comics was of cancer, and it wasn't in battle, and it was mm. it was in a really important and well regarded story, and it was you know, it was it was interesting and it was cool and it was it, it was a very powerful and emotional story, and it would have been neat to be able to preserve that, and I'm fine with the with the difference. It just it just reminds me of that story, and in a way, that's a good thing because it remi- reminds me of a good emotional story like, like yeah. it's not a criticism it's just an observation when comparing uh you know the comics and the films jan rog is just a bad guy in the comics never friends mm-hmm. with carol never part of star force uh, i mean he's <laughs> a, you know he's a military leader for the kree and like i said he's pretty much marvel's nemesis tried to kill him a bunch uh, <laughs> like fought him all the time he's still a <laughs> what they refer to in the comics as a pink kree because they refer to them as pink and blue kree and uh right yeah, he's played by jude law in this <laughs> He almost like because he does have that mentor role, like the way they they marketed it. I get why comic fans thought he was going to be Marvel for so long. Like, mm-hmm. and yeah, he is uh, not. I don't know, not super important, really. I mean, uh, uh, in comics at this point, because Marvel died so long ago <laughs> in the comics, uh, he's 
he he first appeared alongside I think Carol in or Mar- or Marvel one of the two in Marvel Superheroes twelve in December of nineteen sixty seven so not not the most significant Marvel character going on to we already mentioned Annette Benning playing Marvel yeah. <laughs> uh, she also played Carol who Carol saw as the supreme intelligence oh yeah supreme intelligence is known as Supremor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. More than a million years ago, the Kree wanted to create a cosmic cube, which is what the comics call the Tesseract. Mm. And it's kind of interesting because in the comics, the, the scrolls were the originals, original people to create the first cosmic cube. And the Supreme Intelligence was created to create something smart enough to make their own, to try to, to, try to duplicate it. It was an arms race, basically. Okay. <laughs> and so they yeah. used the, basically the brains of their smartest people. They disembodied and digitized and made this artificial intelligence. And Oh the way God. it's represented is this giant, like basically like obese green head <laughs> that is in a floating in a giant vat of liquid that has crazy tendrils or tentacles coming off the top of it instead of hair. And it's uh, also th- wow. being assimilated into the supercomputer that, that it is, is a process called supremorization. Oh it's a. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. Annette Benning's be- better, better choice. <laughs> Much casting better. Um, <laughs> The first appearance of uh, Supremor <laughs> is uh, Fantastic Four, number 65, 1967. And the first appearance of the death of Supremor <laughs> is Guardians of the Galaxy, volume three, number 25, May of 2015. There you go. Created by Jack, by wow. uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby. I did go and talk about who created uh, our Flurkin earlier, but I think I missed some of our other characters. So I'll go through real quick. Carol was created by Gene Colan, I believe, and Roy Thomas. And Marvel was created by Stan Lee and Gene Colan. And Jan Rog was also created by Stan Lee and Gene Colan. And then going through some of the other characters really quickly, um, we have Minerva, which I thought was interesting with the emphasis on Marvel being two names. So is, Miner- so is Minerva. Like, 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 and yeah. She had uh, yeah. a fake Earth identity as Doctor Minerva, like one name, like with the last name, but her name, her Cree name is Minerva. Uh, yeah, M I N N dash Erva. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty <laughs> silly. Um, she's <laughs> created by Scott Edelman and Al uh, Migram. First appeared in Captain Marvel number fifty in 1977. What I find also kind of interesting is. She and who is it? Uh, Korath, who had first appeared in Guardians of the Galaxy, played by uh, Jaimon Hansu. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Korath the Pursuer, yeah. uh, full name Korath Thak. <laughs> <laughs> He was, he was created by Mark Grunewald and Greg Capullo and first appeared in Quasar number 32 in March of 1992 and died in Annihilation Conquest number one of January 2008. And the two of them are the only members of Star Force. Oh, no, and Atlas. Sorry. Uh, the only members of Star Force in the comics. Interesting. Uh, from this movie. The rest are other Kree who have been added to. Yeah. Um, but Star Force was just the Kree answer to the Avengers, sort of. Yeah. E- e- uh, Kree, Kree bad guys. Uh, and Ronan was actually a member uh mm-hmm. so it's ronin captain atlas dr minerva uh korath and a cyborg named shatterax who's basically like their iron man <laughs> and uh <laughs> a guy named alt a guy named ultimus who's like a weird like old glory style like like, like his, his costume looks like he's wearing a, an old uh like revolutionary era american flag as the basis it's very bizarre i i can't super explain it he's got a, cir- he's got a circle of white stars like the symbol of his chest on his chest he looks hilarious um but star force was created by bob harris and steve epting and first appeared in avengers number uh 346 in april 1992 and a crossover that was a sequel to the kree scroll war that was referred to as operation galactic storm yeah 
That's <laughs> gross, but whatever. <laughs> it was what was happening at the time. Yeah. So Atlas basically wore the same costume that Captain Mar- Marvel wore when he first appeared in the comics that the Marvel version did. Whereas this white, all white costume with a green helmet with a fin on it that's sort of like their masked costumes that they wear. Mm-hmm. And uh, with green underpants, green belt, <laughs> green gloves, and green boots, and a green planet that looks like the like uh what do you call it saturn or the space uh symbol for the like old school lego space stuff which is like (laughs) the little planet with the one ring around it yeah he's got that green symbol so that's that's what captain atlas looks like also atlas is atlas att dash l-a-s-s they're all like that uh and he first appeared in quasar number nine in 1990 and died in infinity heist number four in 2014 it was created by mark grunwald and mike manley <laughs> let's see going through i'll uh Bron char was going to mention real quick the last member uh just saying that he was created by mark wade and joe kubert first appeared in captain america volume three number eight as a member of a group of Cree refugees who invaded earth that were called the lunatic legion and i think they may have been the second oh. lunatic legion but th- those those would be <laughs> the last of them of uh, of the Cree Star Force members. Yes, Talos the Tamer or Talos the Untamed uh, would be his different code names. And brilliantly played by Ben Mendelsohn in this film. By the way, I know there's a a lot of deviation though. <laughs> no, and he's absolutely gr- he's he's absolutely great in it. He was. Steen Sealer is so much fun. In the comics, he's just a pretty much stereotypically evil scroll warrior, not this like very sympathetic, yeah. cool character. And one thing that I thought was super weird and was very similar to, you know, your friend asking about why they changed the name of Chewie to Goose. Yeah. For me, I was like, why'd they use Talos? Because literally <laughs> Talos the Untamed or Talos the Tamer, whichever they, he goes by, are uh, at different points in the comics. Uh, he's like a Hulk villain. He's appeared in a bunch of different stuff. He's this scroll, and the scrolls are primarily shape-shifting reptilian humanoid aliens, but he's got a genetic defect that makes him slightly stronger than other scrolls and unable to shape change. He's one of the only scroll characters that can't shape change. And it is weird, and it bugged me at first, but then I figured that even though the scrolls are co-owned owned rights-wise by uh, the Avengers and Fantastic Four and possibly other stuff too, because of the way Marvel used to sell their stuff off, just like how we had you know, you know, know, both Evan Peters as Quicksilver in uh, the X-Men movies, and we had, uh, what's his face? Um, I know, I forget his name. Aaron Taylor? Aaron, yeah. Aaron Taylor Johnson? Is that it? Something like that. Yeah. But the, the kid from Kick-Ass who played yeah, Quicksilver yeah. <laughs> in, in Age of Ultron, because, they, because Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are technically both X-Men and Avengers characters because they premiered initially as X-Men villains and then very quickly afterward and for most of their comic book careers have been Avengers characters and editorially were in both departments. They were sold off to companies as both. So when the rights to the Avengers reverted back to Marvel Studios, they had those characters, but so did Fox still. And now... Disney owns Fox, but when they started developing this, they wouldn't have had the rights to using any of the Skrull characters pretty much except for Talos, a character named Queen Varanki, who is like their queen, who's primarily an Avengers and Spider-Woman character. And it's they basically, all the characters that were named male characters that Ben Mendelsohn could play were Fantastic Four characters. So uh... like the one you liked so much, Clert, the Super Scroll. <laughs> uh, can't use, couldn't use Clert. 
got to go with Talos. Uh, and I'm okay with it. it like, it's, it's such a minor thing. It didn't actually bother me in any way. It's just something I couldn't help but notice because of my brain and my knowledge of comics. So I was like, weird. But like, yeah. it's nothing that bugged me at all. And he did like a great job. He's pretty much Talos in name only, but whatever. Yeah. I, don't really, I don't really care. I don't have that much uh, attachment to Talos. He first appeared in Incredible Hulk number 418 that is in June of cover dated uh, for 1994, created by Peter David and Gary Frank. Gary Frank right now is uh, making a huge controversial comic at DC called, uh, I think, Doomsday Clock that is like bringing Watchmen into the DC continuity. And what? Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Myself, I don't, like I don't it. love it. Uh, one of the. Well, worth mentioning that first appearance of Talos is the marriage of Rick Jones and Marlo Chandler. It's a, it was a, oh my god, it was a really important <laughs> Jones. It was an important Hulk <laughs> issue when it came out. It, uh, Incredible Hulk four eighteen. It was uh yeah, it was a big it was a big deal. I remember loving that one as a kid because uh, it was one of my favorite books, and I've always loved Rick Jones, and he's a weird <laughs> m- important Marvel character. While we're on Talos, I might as well mention that the Skrulls first appeared in Fantastic Four number two in January 1962. And it's such a cool, weird timing coincidence because we record these ahead of time. But the episode that came out last week is where we talk about Mockingbird and her Skrull stuff, and it leads right into this. So <laughs> so weird. We, we, <laughs> How do we keep yeah, doing we're, that? <laughs> we're good at that somehow. Uh, and the Skrulls are mostly bad guys. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it definitely, like there was some reasonable inference that, oh, I bet this is because they're important in Captain Marvel. There's a new comic that just came out Wednesday called Meet the Skrulls. I think it might be a mini series, but it's basically like the Americans, like where they're deep cover spies, Mm, but it's a family of Skrulls. Uh, and so it's trying to make them, I think, a little more sympathetic. And there've always been some sympathetic scrolls. Uh, prominent members of the Runaways and Young Avengers have been scrolls. Actually, uh, one of one of the most important members of the Young Young Avengers is Hulkling. Hulkling, who you'd think would have something to do with Hulk? Nope. Teddy Altman is the <laughs> son of Marvel and a a, uh, a scroll princess or scroll queen. So he is the half Kree, half Skrull, prophesized like savior of both, uh, superhuman. And because he could shape change and turn into this big green thing, when he was a kid, he didn't know he was an alien. He was adopted by humans. He uh, changed. He, he went by Hulkling because he didn't know. Oh, my God. He, he's great. Great character. <laughs> he and his long-term boyfriend, Wiccan, are founding members of the Young Avengers and are two of the most prominent uh, gay male characters in the Marvel Universe, at least, and are just really great. Uh, I hope to see them. They've been full-fledged Avengers and Young Avengers, and I hope to see them prominently used in the MCU at some point in the future. Yeah. Uh, and Wiccan is Scarlet Witch's uh, and Vision's son. <laughs> one of their of two they have, twi- they have twin sons <laughs> Wicked, Wicked and Speed they're, they're, they're Scarlet Witch and and, uh, and Quicksilver they have twins at the same powers as her and her brother oh it's it's adorable uh, and they're pr- comics are so weird they're so, oh god I couldn't even begin there would be a whole new it would be a whole episode to talk about how weird they are they get super <laughs> weird so yeah Maria Rambeau in the comics is born and raised in Louisiana she's a super excellent mom to uh monica and is pretty much i, I don't know the she, she's defined in the comics 
through her relationship to Monica. She doesn't have the same characterization. Uh, uh, so we don't get to see her, you know, being a badass pilot. Like, like it's not really anything that's yeah. in, in her character. We just know, we just know how she relates to Monica. Uh, and Monica was a uh, new Orleans, uh, police officer. And mm. I believe, no, actually, I believe her parents were, Ooh, I think Maria was a seamstress and Frank was a firefighter. I knew he was some kind of civil servant. I couldn't remember if he was a cop or a firefighter, but I'm pretty sure he was a firefighter. And, she was a uh, lieutenant and a cop for the New Orleans Harbor Patrol. And she was in an explosion with extra dimensional energy and basically became a being of pure energy, became made of light. And yeah. she's had several uh, code names, including the nickname from the film of, of Photon, you know, in quotes for, for yeah. Maria. Monica has had the code name Pulsar, uh, briefly Daystar in a story where they're like, think they're in medieval times. <laughs> uh <laughs> I think she's currently going by spectrum because she can go across the entire electromagnetic spectrum and mm-hmm. and spectrum of light. And uh, she's also gone. I, I think I said she's gone by photon. She's also gone by pulsar. And when she was originally a superhero, she went by Captain Marvel. And she was the leader of the Avengers. She was a member of a weird story that was originally not supposed to be in continuity called Next Wave. And they've integrated it in in a way where basically these extra dimensional beings uh, kidnapped her and a couple other heroes and put them through just hell. Like put them through like this trippy torture. But it was this really like super bizarre, tongue in cheek, sometimes parody, sometimes just like outright hateful towards superhero comics uh called called next wave i mean it's it's definitely funny it's not meant in like a like really evil way but it's super enjoyable but it's called the uh next wave and they worked for uh nick fury like parody basically because instead of being the agents of shield they were the agents of of hate (laughs) oh my god (laughs) no yeah and dirk anger instead of nick fury was their uh, leader wow and, no it's so silly but like and monica cursed the entire time and like and they're, they're, like people thought she was crazy when she first returned to the main universe but she's it, it, it I, I do recommend next wave and i even more than that i recommend the ultimates the ultimates was mm-hmm. an amazing comic that was primarily about characters of color and uh two of the main characters were Monica and Carol. Like, uh, and I, oh, nice. hi- I highly recommend everyone check out the collections, both like online or in print. Really, really good. Like super good. Um, America, uh, Chavez is in it as well, mm-hmm. as well as a character named, um, Adam Brashear or the black Marvel or, or blue Marvel. Sorry. Who's an excellent character. Black Marvel is a different character. The black Marvel is a white guy <laughs> who was raised by Indians. Blue Marvel's a prominent, a, a prominent, uh, black character. Yeah, no, it's comics are rough. Um, but yeah, so I highly recommend Ultimates. Everyone should check that out. Uh, who likes the idea of you know Carol and Monica and badass superheroines and proact- proactive superhero stuff? It's got some yeah. really cool concepts, and it manages to I feel like work on its own, but also integrate a lot of stuff that I appreciate as someone who like likes the really crazy deep dive comic continuity stuff. Like it references old things, but isn't inaccessible. And sometimes things that reference the past in comics are inaccessible new readers like they just are (laughs) shit's all over the place you know it's it's (laughs) it's it's uh none none of it's easy to really understand because they they go 
through so many creators and everything. Yeah. So Monica was first introduced, I guess, right before uh, you know, her her own series and her time in Avengers in an Amazing Spider-Man annual in October of 1982. She was introduced in Amazing Spider-Man annual number 16, which means that was published uh, a month before her, I was born. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> Monica is one month older than me. Uh, and let's see, even though what she'll be like 30, somehow I'm older than her because she'll be, she's, she's 11, 24 years ago. That doesn't add up. It's math's oh off. Uh, and yeah, she appeared in Avengers unplugged number five in June of 1996 as photon switched it up to pulsar in new thunderbolts number nine in August, 2005, and then became spectrum and mighty Avengers volume two, number one in November of 2013. It's worth mentioning, uh, I mentioned to you yesterday, that she changed her name to Photon in Avengers Unplugged in June 1996, and then changed it to Pulsar in New, New Thunderbolts number nine, both times because Genus Vell, son of Marvel, changed his name. Because he became Captain Marvel. <sighs> he, he'd gone by Legacy initially, and he became Captain Marvel and and uh, and took the name from Monica. And then <laughs> a creator wanted to change his name to Photon. And I think they thought it would be cute to have him again take that name from Monica. Oh my God. <laughs> I think the second one, they're acknowledging how stupid the first one is. But at yeah. the same time, it's like, but nobody outside of your room, like editor's room knows that. Um, like yeah. to us, it just looks yeah. like weird, weird, weird move. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, Monica. And then Maria's first appearance was in Avengers 246, August of 1984. She was created by Roger Stern. Uh, it was, he, he wrote the Avengers when Monica was the leader and was sort of like her caretaker through most of the 80s he, and her uh, advocate as a character and really pu- pushed for her inclusion and use and uh it's pretty cool. He's uh, she, she's yeah. excellent. Project Pegasus, mm-hmm. uh, which was originally uh, in what do you call it, Mount Athena in the Adirondack Mountains of New York, not in California, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> first first appeared in Marvel Two and One number forty two in August nineteen seventy eight. Is created by Mark Grunwald and creator Ralph Macchio, not the guy from Karate Kid. Uh, <laughs> always worth mentioning. Marvel creator Ralph Macchio, long term Marvel guy, not the same guy. Uh, yeah. And that's all of them. I mean, not including Scrawls or Nick Fury or Coulson. Like, like I think that was still like 15, 16 comic connections. There's so many it's cause they, and there are more that I didn't catch. Like those are the ones that are obvious because there are characters, you know, that, that we got named Mm -hmm. (laughs) like not, not just in the credits and that were just really, you know, I don't know, easily identified, but everyone, everyone was great. I thought like, you know, you mentioned Jim and Chan. I thought Lashana Lynch was awesome as Maria. Their version of Maria oh, was yeah. great. And I, I just, I loved, I, I, I liked that addition because of the time thing. Because Carol, it, mm-hmm. also, it's just weird that like Carol's been out of time a long time when you think about it. Like, she, like even though she's not been frozen like yeah. Cap, she's been out of Earth culture since 1989. Like she's been gone for 30 yeah. years. It's bonkers to think about. Yeah. And like, I don't know, like, because, but because of that, change uh it makes it to where uh you know i I feel like you needed to do something like this to introduce monica like when they first had announced because i i can't remember who do you remember who they had initially cast as maria because it was someone else oh um it was someone else yeah also awesome and i saw her on social media like giving them shout outs like unprompted which i thought was really cool like like she was being supportive but um I, i wish i could remember but i can't remember i remember both 
both of those casting announcements, the initial announcement and the change, people were speculating, oh, that's Monica Rambeau. And I, and that made me upset yeah. at the idea of it. I was like, I hope not. Like, you're probably right. But if they just have her appear as a supporting character in this in 1995 and then she doesn't exist, you know, in the present day, that'd be really yeah, frustrating. That sucks. But instead, yeah. like that line that Fury gives, you know, where he yeah. says, you're going to have to learn to glow like Carol here. It's like, no shit, dude. She's going to, she's made of energy. <laughs> like Carol's, yeah. Carol's filled with energy, but she's made of it. <laughs> like she's made of light, yeah. dude. Like, like not, <laughs> not a problem. <laughs> uh, but it, no. Uh, and so like the way they set it up, I feel like is perfect. Um, and, and, and like yeah. I said before, like I wish they could have, or I don't know, I wish they could would have been able to do it in a way that they felt was satisfying and, and, and done, done everything justice and included Frank Rambo. But I love all the changes they made to Maria. Like, not that her being a seamstress is a bad character and a supportive mother, but it's cool that she has this example that's an actively heroic, actively adventurous, actively courageous, and and yeah. and like I don't know all these additionally awesome qualities in addition to being a great supportive mom. Like it's cool, and I'm I'm, I'm very appreciative of at least the intention. I'm not like I, I'm I'm waiting to see some more reactions. I have heard some interesting reactions about like, just basically saying that like they appreciate, they, they appreciated the intention, but some of the execution for the way they included the Rambos wasn't the most successful from some people I followed. So I'm yeah. waiting to feel some, uh, re- read some reviews from black women whose experiences are much more informed and be able to have uh nuance and, and, you know, not thinking about how they relate to the characters from the comics, but just thinking about how they relate to their experiences and to, you know, the uh, yeah. auth- authenticity of their representation. And I feel like that's definitely more important. Yeah. It's just not something I'm equipped to to analyze. <laughs> and I'm right. I'm not either. To you know, right. I'm not a black woman, so um, so yeah, man, there's a lot of wild comic shit that is like behind the scenes here. I had no idea. Oh yeah, I didn't even get into the craziest thing. Like like uh I'm I'm only going to mention it because because when I mentioned it to Nikki, she was like, that happens a lot in fiction. I'm like, you know what? It does. Why does it happen so much? But it happens a bunch in comics and in other like sci-fi genre stuff. But Carol was raped by a character and then Why? the child was then aged to adulthood and then had a weird like sexual predator vibe with her afterward. Like, like it was a character named K- – what a time traveling character named Kang impregnated her, and uh, she they had a child oh named God. Marcus, or maybe or maybe Marcus impregnated her and had, had gave birth to himself. It makes no sense. It's it is <laughs> it is upsetting, and it's one of those things where like I have literally like made myself forget, forget. most of it yeah. because it's just like like I read it as a kid, and even as just as a little little you know cis white boy growing up, <laughs> like, it was still like this is gross. <laughs> like I don't know yeah. why this is wrong. But I know this but, is super wrong and not okay and weird as, weird as shit. Like, why do they do that? Okay. Marcus claimed to be the son of Immortus, who is a version of his character named Kang, who is an Avengers, <laughs> a time-traveling Avengers and Fantastic Four character. It's all just nuts. This character uh, has traveled through time and created, like, multiple versions of himself. Kang, Immortus, and Ramatut are all different <laughs> versions of the same weird dude. Yeah. And it's a white dude from the future who goes back in time and pretends to be an Egyptian uh, pharaoh. So, like, there, there's all sorts of messed up stuff. But, like, he's supposedly a descendant of both Mr. Fantastic and Dr. Doom. That's why he's significant. And there's all sorts of gibberish. But anyway, one version of him who lives in limbo, like, outside of time and goes by, goes by Immortus, apparently had a son named Marcus 
uh, but it's he denies that he's his son. Okay. And <laughs> so during a leave of absence of the Avengers, but while still appearing in the Avengers story, Carol has sexual violence committed against her and is left with a bizarre unwanted pregnancy caused by Marcus. And he manipulated her into believing that she loved him, took him to his, uh, to his home outside of time in limbo. He aged at an accelerated rate in limbo. She somehow used the time traveling technology to return to the present. And when she did, she expressed uh, anger to the Avengers for them, for, for believing that she had actually fallen for Marcus and like, oh my God. like basically for like not realizing she was under yeah. mind control, which I mean, I think it's sort of fair. Yeah. <laughs> like they're like, Hey, you guys, you guys are jerks. But like, I think the way the story went, basically he gave, she, he, he impregnated her and then she gave birth to him. What the like, fuck? <laughs> but like this, that shit happened in Angel, right? Yeah. Where, where Angel and Cordelia had, had the kid who grew to adulthood, Connor. That happens over and over again in comics. And I was trying to think there's something else, but it just, it like every time it seems like. And oh, in, in DC, Power Girl, who is an alternate dimension version of Supergirl, but who lives in the mainstream DC universe because comics, right, guys? <laughs> so, uh, so she's so, so she had the exact same thing happen, like maybe. 15, maybe 20 years later at DC Comics when I was like a tween, I was reading either Justice League International or Justice League Europe, one of the Justice League comics she was a main main member of. And the exact same story happened where she was kidnapped, brainwashed, impregnated by a bad guy who like gave birth to himself. And it's just like, what the hell? Why does this keep happening? <laughs> like what weird, like weird mental problem that do dudes have that like keeps making them write that story. So but it's weird. been like, but it's that pervasive. But like, I just remember when I told that to Nikki, she was like, I've heard stories like that before. And I'm like, yeah, wait, I have too. And I was like, wait, why have we heard stories like that before? So it's super gross. I hate that like both her and Mockingbird like have these stories in their pasts. Like I'm it's glad, really frustrating. I'm glad they have been not brought to the MCU in that way. <laughs> it's the one thing like when they do little con- cuz they never do giant like everything is different at once mm-hmm. changes at Marvel like they do at DC, but they do little changes all the time. Why can't one of the little changes ever be undoing one of those? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you, you know, like come on. Oh, Reed Richards wasn't a World War 2 vet. Anymore. Oh, now he's not a vet at all anymore. Okay, cool. If those things are okay, how about our heroines aren't always the victims of sexual violence? That would yeah. be my preference. And uh, the last comic thing, I mentioned it before, maybe not on the show, but just in general in regards to Tony Stark. Uh, one of my disappointments is that he, or he is not called in the comics and he's not in the films the way he is in the comics. And I feel like that representation would be nice. Oh, yeah. It'd be nice to have one of these heroes demonstrate that to show that it's not a character flaw. It's just yeah. something that people have. It's a it's a genetic propensity. It's a disease. And it's not anything someone's failing mm-hmm. by, by having that be a part of who they are. And it doesn't make them less of a person or less of a hero. It's also the strongest point of Carol and Tony's relationship. Uh, oh. He was her sponsor when she went to AA. She is also an alcoholic in the comics and something that's just like, at this point, they don't harp on it. They each had a story arc about it, but it's told in the comics still to this day and, and, and upheld by every time they have a scene where the characters are toasting something, they're drinking a bottle of water. Interesting. And like the fact that they still do that to this day, it means something to me. Like I have, you know, my grandfather was uh, so alcoholic that he was once hit by a train with his car. He was passed out. Uh, his car had stalled and he was on, on train tracks when, when, before I was born. But 
it's like, and he it was a miracle. He survived. And it's because of his alcoholism that that happened. And it's like, I don't know. It's no, not anything. It's not the biggest thing in the world, but it'd be nice to see that on screen. And I feel like in one way I get why they didn't with Carol for sure. I mean, especially in the first movie after not yeah. doing it with what six appearances of Tony or whatever, but it's just sucks. Cause at this point to do that to Carol, I feel like I get why they wouldn't in the films. Cause it's saddling a lot on their pr- premiere, <laughs> premiere, you know, flagship woman character at this point. Yeah. And while I don't think it is a character flaw, I don't think it should be something they should be afraid of. I understand why they wouldn't. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just a, that's one tiny good comic weirdness thing that might not make it on screen that I wish we could, could somehow. I don't know if you can do that on screen just because I don't know, like on screen media is accessible to such a larger audience, especially like a younger audience. Not saying that kids don't read comic books, but more kids watch movies. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I just feel like that's that sets. I don't know. That's complicated. It's it's, it it is. And and I feel like the the. The way they're going to be able to do anything like that is going to be on like Disney Play. Yeah, I was going to say that. It, it, it'll be Plus? if it Plus. is on. Sorry, I keep doing it wrong. <laughs> um, I, I think- did figure out why. I'm, I, <laughs> but, 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 you're, but yes, yes. Um, uh, but yeah, I think the only on screen representation of um, dealing with alcoholism, either as a hero, as a character, or even like as a family member, um, it would probably be on Disney Plus. Probably not on in a film. <laughs> well, I, th- I think like they could. Do it with a, in a film. I feel like, like especially something like Tony. If they could, if the, if they came up with an Iron Man four, or they could have integrated into Iron Man three. Yeah, I feel that's like. true. And, and I, I'm not mad that they didn't. I'm just I feel like a failure at this point that they are now doing repeatedly. Yeah, like and. I, 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 I think that what you're saying makes sense that the only way it works for me in a film is if it is someone who has a guaranteed multiple films. Yeah. Like you have to have that – and you have to have that arc built in like planned I would think yeah. to actually have it pull off well. Yeah. And to show consequences and to show – to show it sensitively and not in a way of it's not not in a in a after school special yeah you know you know ha- handled with no nuance and no intelligence just like kind of throwing something at the at the problem or at the issue and just being like hey I tried yeah so that's good enough right but I, I would rather them do it with care and I just think about the things they've shown like we've talked about it before there's a little bit of PTSD stuff in in the movies like with Cap. I feel like the best they've dealt with it in the movies is in Iron Man 3. And they yeah, did. They did a really good job with it. It's probably one of the best modern, I think, examples of Shane Black's uh, writing. I think he's definitely talented, but doesn't lean towards the more heavy stuff mm-hmm. usually. Like if you look at Lethal Weapon or whatnot, yeah. it's, like, it's fun, but it's not – even the heavy stuff is over the top and exaggerated. Yeah. Like, 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 like the loss – in those movies, in the Lethal Weapons movies, because there's like people dying and lots of fridging of women, mm-hmm. but it's it's all done very by the book and like none of it none of it has depth. But but he does a good job with that in, in Iron Man. But at the same time, I feel like the what we've seen in Punisher in the first season, at least I haven't seen the second, and in Shield, you know, with yeah. Coulson and whatnot, is so much more yeah. because of that serialized format. I think it's the same way. Like they could they, they could do just like they did with the PTSD. They could probably do an addiction story in the middle of a superhero story. But have to be very personal. Have to be something that builds in in a mm-hmm. series of solo movies. Not yeah. And, and even though this was a solo movie, this was also about integrating her into everything. Yeah, and absolutely. So that's, 
it, it, I, I, like I said, I totally get why they did it. I don't think it's a failure or a mistake or a bad thing. It's just something I wish they could tackle and they could do. And that I feel like is the advantage of having it be Iron Man or Captain Marvel at this point is they're not the alcoholic character. That's not yeah. who they are. Yeah. But if but if it's a supporting character in a, a season of a show, then that might be how they're viewed. You know, yeah. if, if it's just if it, if it's a sidekick, then that's it might be their become their defining characteristic. If that makes any sense, yeah, yeah, it does. Um, okay, well, let's talk about how this film connects to Shield because yes. we are a Agents of Shield podcast, so. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about it. I don't know. So first and foremost, Coulson, he is a new, he's the new guy, right? Yeah, this, they call him rookie at the beginning. Yeah, the rookie. And he, the one, I guess, I mean, he has like kind of two moments, I guess, but I guess the one moment that stands out to me is the, is when he lets Fury and Carol go um, in the stairwell. Like he just pretends he doesn't see them. And Carol and Fury have a conversation about it in the plane later. And Fury describes Coulson as the agent who trusts his gut and goes against orders. And he explains how that's very hard to do, which kind of feel like Coulson still does that (laughs) to this day um, in our current S.H.I.E.L.D. timeline. So interesting that they put that. That was the the. The defining characteristic of Coulson in Captain Marvel. I don't know if you have thoughts. <laughs> no, I, I think like I like that that was the defining characteristic. Yeah. I, and I think that even though he's not on it very often or not in it very much, like like he he shines through. Like, like absolutely, and he does a great job. And no, it was it, uh, it was just fun to see him. I think more so than anything. Like they could have set him up in any way. I think as as a character, they could have set him up as you know the kind of less jaded, wide-eyed, you know, rookie agent, and I would have been happy no matter what. <laughs> um, but I like this. I like that they set him up to be like this. Um, also, uh, the same conversation that when Carol and Fury are talking about him, um, Fury has this line of, well, he doesn't hate me yet, which I thought was interesting because we see how their relationship has changed drastically. I mean, Fury essentially like brings Coulson back from the dead without his consent <laughs> and then and then makes him director and that I, I don't know it's and Coulson just like I mean and we still see this like in season two that we're covering right now how Coulson like just so deeply trusts Fury and trusts his thought process and knows what a good director he was because of certain things that he did and he's trying to emulate that and I don't know. It was an interesting. I guess we see the very beginning of that in this film. Um, I don't know. No, I, I I thought it was great. I and I can. I think you're right on. Like I don't know. It was just a great little preview of what they would become, and for both of them. And I feel like in a weird way, like Fury's, you know, the biggest difference. You yeah. Know, like he's he changes the most over the course of. Uh, I feel like the the 25 years or and it's also just weird to think about what 22 years or no, not 22 12 years between that and iron man right i know right like it's not not that long no it's not well and we could let's talk about that so um we see the beginning of the avengers initiative here because fury is like shook that you know our enemies can come from space and he's like we are not equipped to deal with this and carol's gone so <laughs> we need to find more people that can protect earth essentially and he's inspired by Carol's call sign, Avenger, which was really cute. Um, I don't know. That was a very like heartwarming moment. 
the very end of the film. Um, no, that was great. Yeah. But yeah, so it's just like, I, I don't know, it's, it, it was just tying everything together. It was really nice to, it was kind of cool to see the, the genesis of all this stuff. And now I'm curious because obviously like her powers have a different source in the MCU than they do in the comics. They come from the Tesseract essentially. And so the ramifications of what that could mean um, from the after, or what is it? Endgame from what's going to happen in Endgame, like how that's going to play a part. I don't know. No, that's that's a really good point. It's not, not something I'd really thought of exactly. Like I, the, that that aspect of it. I don't know, and I'm not sure if they'll lean into it, but that is that is really interesting to think about. Yeah, for sure. Does um the stone? No, because that's a different stone. Never mind. <laughs> I was going to say Vision Stone is a different. Or is that the is that the stone from the Tesseract? The Soul Stone? I don't. Was it? No. No. no right. Because. Uh, Thanos crushes the Tesseract in Infinity War. Yes, you're right. And reveals you're right, the right, gem right. inside. That's right. Okay. What was the stone that was in Loki's scepter then? Is that the Mind Stone? That's the stone that's in. That's the ones Vision, on Vision. Right? Okay. Yep, yep. Okay. Cool. All right. Sorry. <laughs> no. No worries. There's a lot go. of there's a lot of movies. Got to keep it straight. Well, and they they make them so different from the comics. Like I know some of that stuff. Like is just like floating around in my head. Like whatever. Like yeah. But yeah, I, I just thought that was that was an interesting tie-in. Um, and like you said earlier in the episode, like we see another another chip on the timeline of like where the Tesseract was on Earth, um, which is cool. There is a line which I feel like I've complained about in a previous episode where Carol's like, "Oh, does you know wearing this." Your logo on clothing helped covert part of your job, which I mean, there's shield logos like on the cars and on the planes, and it just drives me crazy. So I was like, thank you but, for addressing that. <laughs> that being said, again, I think I pointed out before uh, in response to that, it's like, it's not like the CIA or FBI don't have trucks that say that's true. <laughs> like, 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 it's like because we think of espionage as James Bond, but yeah. that's not the majority of what they do. That's true. That's <laughs> like true. It's also peacekeeping. Yeah, that <laughs> like, is true. <laughs> no, and, and Fury doesn't miss a beat either because he talks about her like, you know, rub, giant rubber suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not so subtle. But no, maybe you do have a good point that like <laughs> the logo, especially like, I think sometimes does is there a shield symbol on some of the jumpsuits that like I think they there wear? is. I, I feel yeah. like I feel like I've seen May in a in a freaking cat suit with a shield logo on the shoulder. Yeah, that's that, there's no explanation for that. Yeah, <laughs> like, 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 that's, that's just just nonsense. Well, I, okay, so the episode of um, where Ward is, um, he wears the glasses to go in and complete that mission for um, the the agent that had like the eye implant. Yes, He's dry, he, they're driving an SUV that has a shield logo on the side of it, like, <laughs> yeah, that, and that's, that's an actual covert like spy mission. So yeah, that makes no sense. That's <laughs> yeah. insane. But yeah, I just thought that I was like, thank no. you for addressing that, Carol, because no, that made me. Crazy. I think even the first time I saw it, I thought of you. How many times you've mentioned it? <sighs> it reminded me. Oh, the other thing that we kind of have a shtick about is helmets when you're riding yes. a motorcycle, and Carol wore a helmet. I'm so proud. <laughs> Yeah, and I I think what I said was uh, to to you is like the one who's indestructible remembers to wear the helmet, but Steve and May who are yeah. not indestructible can't freaking remember. Like, come on, man. Uh, but so yeah, thank no, it's you. Just another example, another way in which uh, Carol is an awesome a role model, an example for yes. all of us. Yes. <laughs> um, did you have any other Shield connections that you want to talk about? I didn't really, I couldn't think of anything else other. I mean, other than the Fury and Coulson. 
Um, I mean, the you got the Tesseract, oh, timeline stuff, but we already kind of talked about that, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean... It's just interesting because I think you mentioned this before, but like this this is a big changing point for S.H.I.E.L.D. Like they clearly did not have the technology that they did, you know, even 12, 15 years down the road <laughs> in this timeline. And I mean, which to be fair, that is a long time in terms of technology. This, this is where it goes from like, oh, we're dealing with... I mean, I don't. What was Shield dealing with before? Like Russians? Like, <laughs> like what? You know, this is like essentially Cold War era, like or like very shortly after Cold War era, like in actual human history. I don't know. That's that's um um. Hmm. <laughs> like, I might I might be messing myself up here a little bit, but like, how old is Daisy? She's I, mm, she was born in eighty nine, I believe. Eighty eight. Eighty eight. July second, eighty eight is what they've established on the show. This may destroy our connection to the MCU. Oh, <laughs> like, no. This may <laughs> firmly plant them in different universes because okay. how could wasn't she an infant? Yes. And there's at least an implication that Phil was was involved in Shield at that point, right? Yes. We don't know for a fact because he wasn't on that mission. Oh, man. They've never said that he or May were on that mission. May was on a similar no, mission. They weren't on that mission. Interesting. Okay. It's just, <laughs> well, it's just, it, it means they were, I mean, and all this makes sense that they would have been looking into weird stuff before. It's just, yeah. Because no. I mean, that you know, the presence of like some type of monstrous force doesn't necessarily mean it's alien. Oh, absolutely. Well, and just in looking, and they could, I mean, you'd think they'd been looking into humans and whatnot for a while. And there's still yeah. like some one thing worth mentioning that I saw several people uh, on social media. I don't think I saw you engaging about it, but I saw several people speculating, oh, we're going to get the blue alien from S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Oh, yeah, this will explain where it came <laughs> from. And in my back of my head, I'm like, no, 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 we're not. <laughs> like, that's not how it works, guys. They don't put things in for S.H.I.E.L.D. in these movies. They just don't. I and know. it sucks well, and that also, they don't. in one of the episodes, I think it was like the flashback episode where Coulson is remembering Project Tahiti and like his, his conversation with the scientist. Like that alien is like old. Like it's, they found it. Right. Like thou- it's thousands of years right. old. So and, and, and like, <laughs> it's been on Earth for a long time. It should have been. It should have been for the Cree and what, 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 yeah. like, uh, what, like, like when they were experimenting on hum- humans. Like it, it makes yeah. sense the way it's told. Even in this story, I think some of that still works. It's just, it means that mm-hmm. people were doing some pretty wacky stuff, you know, good eight, good seven or six years before this movie took place at S.H.I.E.L.D. already. Yeah. Well, and also Fury was only a level three agent, like, because on his badge, it's like level three or whatever. So, th- I mean, there, I'm sure there's stuff that he doesn't know about yet. Oh, no, that's a good point, <laughs> too. What, 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 like, it, this could have been something that he started before he had a huge amount of authority, you know, and, and yeah. didn't get to. It, I mean, clearly, it's something he started to develop in 1995, and he still hadn't recruited anyone in 2007. He's still looking for people. Yeah. So maybe he couldn't yeah. get that started until he was director like, 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 like yeah. does, it doesn't it doesn't actually cut us off from the mcu but it yeah. does accentuate how much they don't coordinate that like i know and i don't I know, know. Like, and like you said like they, they, a lot of the stuff still makes sense to me that they've been looking for weird yeah. items and they're still just getting pieces of the puzzle you know yeah but uh i mean I, who knows maybe maybe know. the real life ben mendelson 
you know, maybe the character, maybe the character <laughs> that he was posing as, who he he'd, yeah. uh, assumed the identity of, maybe that guy knew that Marvel was an alien. You know, like we don't, we don't yeah. know, we don't know what's up. So, but yeah, I don't like thinking about weird con- contradictions. I don't want to think about any possible ones. I know. But I one thing either. that just popped in my head was we've recently talked about how how old is Mingna? Fifty five. So she's fifty five. Like how high level an agent could she have been at twenty five? Right at that time. You know yeah. what I mean? Like like wouldn't she just be yeah. like through military training and everything like she wouldn't be like the most badass high level person in the world i don't i don't know i don't know i don't think we know enough about young may that's true or even young colson really like we i know this is all we know about him is from this film essentially (laughs) yeah cool because they've like all the stuff we know he is either during his time with shield or whatnot it is also just crazy to think how much he loves how much how much fury loves him like and they were friends for a while but like literally it's like what, 17 years they're friends and like he's moving heaven yeah. and earth for him, which is, I mean, it's a nice chunk of time, but it just, you know how close they have to have gotten for that to yeah, work. absolutely. Well, I mean, like he was the first person that he looped into this like new project that he wanted to work on, the Avengers Initiative. Like, it, I feel like that's significant. I st- I did see, alone. I did see someone speculating like in using uh, asterisks to like cover up names so that they would wouldn't like like spoil people. But they're like, does this mean? Uh-huh. And they they had to have been asking if Nick. Or they, they were asking if uh, if Coulson has been a scroll this whole time. And I'm like, no, oh. no, <laughs> definitively not. Like that is there's not no. even a little bit of a hint of that. Like I I don't think. Yeah. Like but they like and people still I've seen articles like three days later or whatever. Having seen this already, people are trying to like, how's this going to fit into Secret Invasion? I'm like, it doesn't. It doesn't set it up. Yeah. Like they could. They, they absolutely could. I'm sure that's a possibility. They still will do something. But like literally in the yeah. there was an interview with uh, Figgy this weekend where they asked. He said, well clearly there's more we're going to do with the scrolls because there's all that like 30 years in between. You know to do that yeah. stuff. You know, you know or 25 years it's like yeah no good, good call that's what that's what he means he does not it's not like yeah. they didn't set, they didn't set up a scroll invasion at all like like if they did i'd feel yeah. a little disappointed i'd feel like this movie was a little undermined if they did later later yeah 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 i think you're right at least not and saddle it onto this maybe a separate one which i'm fine <laughs> with like i think that'd be even funnier that's in this one of the most prominent scroll stories in the comics comes from from all this where there was a time that uh, the Fantastic Four beat a group of Skrull invaders, but they don't kill people. They're explorers and scientists. They're not murderers and or or even you know real mm-hmm. traditional superheroes. So Mister Fantastic, because of the whole DNA thing and whatnot, uh, you know where they replicate DNA, he hypnotized mm-hmm. them and made them think they were <laughs> cows. What the? Fuck? So first, there's a storyline with Skrull milk. Causing weird, weird no. shit to happen. Yeah. But then later on, no. the best part though, the best part is they get turned into scroll burgers. And <gasps> scroll mad cow disease happens. And what the fuck? <laughs> the majority of people who eat them just die. But a random amount of people have a genetic defect where it makes them gain shape-changing powers, but they they slowly lose control and will eventually get stuck in as whatever. Yeah, yeah. But specifically, something that they hate. 
It's such a weird story. One of the in the first story, it's called Scrawl Kill Scrawl Kill Crew. Is this group like a guy ends up finding like two young people, one like one dude and one woman, like end up like finding out that they uh, have consumed Scrawl Burgers and they start tripping out, and they're recruited by this guy Ryder, who's this this tough uh, biker black dude with long dreadlocks, who's like his like go to shape change. He turns his dreadlocks into snakes, but he uh, oh he's their leader, God. and there's one of their members is named Moon. Stomp, who had previous, who had previously <laughs> been a uh, a skinhead and like like, like a, a British skinhead, like like a neo Nazi in England. Yeah. But after this, like ended up joining up with these guys and like ba- like revising his belief system basically. But because of his uh, because of the, the way it makes them turn into either what they're scared of or what they hate or whatever, he's he, he is turning into a black person. Like it's 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 super oh awkward and fucked up and stupid and like there's really awful awful shit in it. But I think that's Grant Morrison and Mark Millar, I believe, or maybe just Mark Millar. That's the guy who did Kick Ass and all that stuff. A lot of his stuff is very yeah. problematic. But there are interesting ideas laden in a mess of a story. And uh, they, they end up bringing back some of those characters, like Ryder and uh, Catwalk, who is a character, I think was a model, who, who turned to like a crazy, weird, like demonic looking creature. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> They would. They ended up appearing in the Secret Invasion story that brought Mockingbird back in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Like so, they uh, they've been brought back since then and made made less problematic. Leaving out the skinhead is usually the go the go to. I feel like in a way to improve yeah, something. Let's make one of idea. our heroes not a racist, <laughs> and uh, then we'll yeah, move on. Thank you. That'd be a good way to to do most things. But uh, I I don't know. I kind of hope to see them. Yeah, on screen at some point. It'd be kind of amazing. <laughs> I never ever thought I would hear the word scroll burgers <laughs> in a sentence. No. <laughs> but here we yeah, are. It, it definitely <laughs> speaks to the extent of uh, comic book weirdness. But yeah. And yeah. Uh, no, and like that was one that they slow like the originally was turning them into cows was just they was they weren't they weren't going to visit it again. That was the way the story ended. Yeah. And then someone like 20 years later was like, hey, what if those, what if somebody drank the scroll, scroll, scroll milk? And then 10 years later is like, hey, what if, what if they made the scroll burgers? It's like, like, like and, but oh literally God. following this, this chain of logic, like the next step is now them to publish a comic where, oh, what if, what if I'm wearing the scroll leather boots? <laughs> like, it's like, like, that's, that's the oh only, it's the last step. I have one more step. <laughs> It is the last step. <laughs> it's like nothing, nothing oh happened to you. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's, that's the biggest stretch. <laughs> my feet got shape changing power. Oh my God. Oh God. I think we should end on that I note. I think so too. It's a good, good wrap up point. We have, good we have covered pretty point. much everything. Um, we have. I'm sure other stuff will come up now um, when we're covering. Oh yeah. Um, well, and once episodes. like the um, digital editions are released, to people have combed over all this, all all this film and oh, the credits. Yeah. I, I'll bet there is a bunch of random, obscure comic reference stuff that I missed for sure. Like oh, even with sure. a good eye for, for it sure. and looking for it, there's just so many characters. So yeah, this this was a very dense film. Like there was, I, I mean, Billy was pointing stuff out to me, and I was like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Like, and he's like, don't you know this? I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, okay, never mind. Oh, you know, I was going to say that I love, okay, so obviously it's a very 90s film. 
I love that. So when they're walking through the records portion of whatever Pegasus base or Project Pegasus or whatever, that reminded me of yes. X-Files. Okay. And then when they're, uh, Maria is in the dogfight with Minerva, that reminded me of Independence oh, Day. Oh, I could see both those. I like that. <laughs> they, they, I like that a lot. And then also, I'm glad you mentioned that because that uh, – oh, just that – I'd mentioned to you right after we saw saw it yesterday that the one stupid OCD thing that I can't help but think, but it doesn't bother me at all. Like I'm fine with it. I want to reiterate, like this is not ruin the movie or the moment at all. <laughs> but the fact that the Supreme Intelligence in the vision at the end puts on Nirvana and then mentions like digging the music, it's like, how would Carol know that? Carol was abducted in 1989. Yeah. <laughs> unless that was on in the radio on her road trip or whatever while she was in the motorcycle, which it would, yeah. like, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, it's, just, it's just weird to choose a song that she wouldn't have heard yet in 89 and then to emphasize it. Feels weird. Feels weird. But yeah. eh, whatever. It, overall, perfect. Whatever. <laughs> like, still, still, it does not, it doesn't affect my enjoyment of the film. But, but, the, but the stupid part of me that, that it's obsessive and compulsive, it's not anything I like. Like, like there's sort of like red light in my brain went off. I was like, hey, wait a second, buddy. You know that's wrong. You have to mention it. I'm like, who to who? <laughs> like, like, I'm, the first time I saw it, I was by myself. I'm like, what am I supposed to learn? Lean over to the people next to me. Like, hey, you guys notice that song would not have been out when she was, uh, when she was, uh, First abducted by the Kree. No, nope, doesn't work. So oh I, uh, my God. I, in, in, yeah, instead, we instead just enjoyed it and then had to <laughs> re- release that that pressure now <laughs> that valve. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's a great movie. All right, where can where, where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> uh, at I and snow and nothing, no spaces. Uh, I snow nothing on. Uh, what Twitter and Instagram? I guess that's it. <laughs> you can find me at Space Jess with four S's in the Jess, and you can find the podcast at Project Tahiti. You can send us an email at Project Tahiti Project Tahiti Pod at gmail dot com. <laughs> um, rate and review us on iTunes, and thank you for listening to Project Tahiti, the special bonus episode talking about Captain Marvel Mania. It's a magical place. <laughs> <laughs> Catch you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 